when you were lifting things from this podium that you caught my notes in your... Praise the good Lord. <laughs> My favourite bit in West Wing, I've told you many times before, he's gone out to do the State of the Nation and um, the wife cuts his tie just as he's going out just to get his adrenaline going. Well, that is the biggest tie cut I have ever had in my life. But I had jot it down. I'm looking over to there. I'm looking to here. I'm looking down here. I'm thinking they were definitely there at some stage this morning. Praise the Lord. Anyway, let me leave the first couple of pages out and move into something else. The reading that we've just had were... um, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we will be in Lent. It's coming rather quickly after Advent, it seems to me, uh, this particular year. And during Lent, we're going to be doing, in the mornings and evenings, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. We're going to do it in different themes that uh, Desi and Ross have come up with. And um, it just happens that the lectionary readings between Christmas and Lent this year are in Mark's Gospel. So in some ways, these are setting the scenes for what we're going to be doing in Lent And we're looking at Mark chapter 1, and uh, Sarah uh, was to come and read it, but I get so panicked there um, that uh, I didn't even ask her to do that. That's how panicked I was with the tie cutting. So if you don't mind, Sarah, is it all right if I just draw a few things out? And um, yeah, I was thinking, well, who did that reading? (laughs) Um, I did say frazzled at the start of the service, didn't I? Um, Got even more frazzled as we went. Um, what's happening here in, in Mark's gospel is that it seems to me that Mark has got um, something like all the four writers. Idea, by the way, that went up and you're thinking, what is idea? Can I go to idea? Um, idea is for students um, and uh, Neville uh, helps to run that. And that was what, which of the four gospels are going to look at. All the four gospel writers have their different ideas of their editorial. And we find in Mark's gospel that there's a few things going on early on in the gospel. There are people that uh, Mark's trying to uh, prove, probably into a Jewish um, group of people who are a bit cynical about the Messiah might have come. Um, Mark's keen to give Jesus some sense of authority. And so there are different people as we go through chapter 1 that we find Jesus getting this authority from. Um, we find, first of all, John the Baptist comes, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, and he talks about um, uh, that he baptized with water, but there was one coming after him, that Jesus and the authority of Jesus was that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then a little bit later on, we find um, that Jesus, um, in his baptism, um, we find that the voice of God himself talks about how um, this is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. So, so, so John's coming out of um, uh, quotations from the Old Testament, and John, with this Old Testament authority of the prophets, is declaring in a voice that this is the one, this is the Messiah. Then we find the the skies opening, a dove coming down, and that God is declaring that this is the Messiah. And we come to this reading near the end, which has been bamboozing me all week, but I want to read to you and then try to unpack. In verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. 
The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked one another, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So we have John the Baptist in an Old Testament tradition voicing the authority of Jesus as Messiah. We have God himself opening up the heavens during the baptism and saying that he's God. And now we have impure spirits, evil spirits, the opposition declaring that Jesus is the Holy One of God. This is part of what Mark is trying to focus on. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus is one who comes as one having authority and not as the scribes. And I've told you about this before that I thought I couldn't work out when I was young what a having authority was because he came as one having authority. And what is a having authority? Um, and uh, it was only later in my life that I separated those words and realized that, that, um, that Jesus comes different from all the other teachers. He comes different from the teaching they were getting in the synagogues. He comes with this fresh message, this new message, this anointed message from God as one who had authority from above. And then in this challenge we have, what goes on with this impure spirit, demon-possessed person coming out with a shriek? And I thought about that this week and I thought, it's interesting just the, the difference of maybe 10 days of your life. 10 days ago when the temperature was 37 degrees and I was around Karamoja up in the northeast of the country of Uganda and I can imagine that I would have been using this scripture maybe among people who in one hand would have been talking about the Lord and Jesus and the other hand would have been talking about witch doctors. When you spend a lot of time in Uganda, you find yourself involved in pastoral conversations with people about witch doctors and when you come from Balamina, almost near Severic. It's a wee bit strange to have to try and speak into people's lives when they bring you the witch doctor's dilemma. But I wonder if I was in Uganda, if I was in Karamoja, or anywhere in Uganda, if I was up in the Pentecostal church of Onelaku this morning, and we talked about this story about a demon-possessed person, they would probably be able to take this at its face value. But then I'm among sophisticates, academics, medics, psychotherapists. And this week I was a wee bit uneasy about having an idea. How do you unpack this scripture to those who have all this psychological knowledge and understanding? What could be going on in this story? But if I was in Uganda, but I'm not in Uganda. So how do you unpack what's going on in this story that Mark tells at the start of his gospel that might somehow speak into the lives of those of us who have come in here this morning? In the synagogue though this is not synagogue, and our form of synagogue, the way the people gathered that particular day. Someone amongst them, someone amongst them had an impure spirit. Just trying to work out who it might be. We could do a fantasy league in that, couldn't we? The ten most likely in Fitzroy who are going to shriek during the sermon and uh, say, stop preaching that Jesus stuff. How do we unpack this into the light of that. And as Carl took a lot of effort to get me back my notes, it wouldn't be doing any harm if I read them at least once during the service. What we find here is this, that the presence of Jesus, and we find this right throughout Mark and all of the Gospels, obviously, the presence of Jesus provokes a response. This is an authority 
that demands response. This is authority. This is an authority that comes as Jesus comes with the authority of God. There's a something that goes on that people are uneasy with. We read it in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean in the context of the reading of this guy with the impure spirits and what Jesus did? What does, what does it mean to, to be delivered from what is the evil? What are the spirits that would be within us? Could they be within? I read something this week. You know, I like my Twitter quote that said, we always need to remember that the congregation is full of sinners. And even more than that, we need to realize that the minister is a sinner too. So in some way, all of us at some level have spirits going on within us that actually even we would like to get rid of. Even habits, habitual habits, even things that control us, or do we dare to say the word possess us that we would really like rid of? And then I think the more frightening thing than that is there are those things within us that we're not even aware of that uh, Janice points out to me all the time that I haven't noticed or that others might see in us that we don't notice. And the presence of Jesus, this authority of Jesus, Jesus as Lord and Messiah, comes into our space and he provokes, he provokes something. Now the ultimate provocation is for our healing and our redemption and our salvation. But Herod didn't see that, did he? All Herod could see was losing the parbius, losing control, losing the wealth, losing the the domination. So even though he knew who Jesus was, he tried to kill him. And here is an impure spirit, a spirit that's in opposition to Jesus. Demonic, satanic in some theological, philosophical, poetic or real sense. That is saying, you've come to destroy me because they know that Jesus has come to destroy the bad air that's within us. I was drawn last night to a song by um, one of my favorite songwriters, Bruce Coburn, who sang here a number of years ago. And I remember every song he sang, he had some real great spiritual depth charge. And I thought, oh, if I could do one of those a year. And he was pounding them out over an hour and a half. But he has a song called Let the Bad Air Out. And it talks about uh, church, it talks about society, it talks about politics, and it talks about the personal. The bad air, something impure. Evil, we might call it. Deliver us from it. Strangled by confusion, my mind is in decay. Can't picture tomorrow, can't remember yesterday. Send out for the black and dagger and the psychiatric couch. Open up the window, let the bad air out. Traitors in high places, take my money, tell me lies. Take a walk past Parliament, it smells like something died. They ask for trust, but somehow I've got serious doubts. Open up the windows. Let the bad air out. Too much monkey business, like Mr. Berry said. Drugs and oil and money don't mean nothing when you're dead. At the risk of being subversive, nothing left to do but shout. Open up the window. Let the bad air out. If the presence of Jesus come into Stormont, if the presence of Jesus come into assembly buildings or church house, if the, the, the presence of Jesus, and we believe it's here today, came into Fitzroy, If he came into our lives and our hearts, 
What are the things that would quake because they know that if Jesus got his lordship in our lives, if Jesus brought the redemption that he was born and died and raised to life to give, if he brought the redemption that we read right at the outset of the service, the Ephesians chapter uh, 1 verse, uh, that lordship, that everything, everything is under his authority. Everything is under his authority. If we sow ourselves into that context, what are the things that would shudder under the Lordship? Birth, death, resurrection, ascension, seated at the right hand of God. All of this tells us the identity of who Jesus is. And then that identity moves in to my psyche, to my heart, to my soul. What are those things that Actually, we like self-indulged in our anger. Maybe at people that we have a right to be angry with, but it possesses us and it's not good and Jesus wants to deal with it. Jealousy. Why can we not be like other people? Why do they seem to be doing better than us? Why are other people more popular than us? Why did they get the job and I didn't get the job? Why have the jealousy? And we, we, there's a wee bit of jealousy that... We love to self-indulge. Pride. I'm better or I'm self-righteous or I wish they could see it like I see it or I'm so much more learned than them or I'm so much more sophisticated than them or it's all a matter of intelligence, a phrase I use that I look at and I think, oh, the arrogance or the pride of that are inferiority complexes that messes about. Those inferiorities that we have, that when we're in company, and we're with other people, the inferiority causes us to be harsher or to be withdrawn. Things that are part of our identity. Things that we might want rid of. But if Jesus came and told us our superiority complexes as well as our inferiority complexes, our insecurities, our prejudices, our prejudices, because we all have them, some of them more deeply rooted than maybe we know, our judgmentalism, our materialism, our materialism, the spirit of the age. Last week we looked at the seed sown and I was asking why it would go deeper in Uganda than it might go with me and the shallowness of a materialistic world that I live in. My own self, I can sort it out myself. I can deal with it myself. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need God. I don't need help because I understand, even in the understanding of the scriptures, I've got my masters and I can interpret it And I don't even need God for that because we're so clever, we're so comfortable, we're so materialistic, we're so Belfast, middle class, wealthy. Jesus comes in to all of those things that might just distort the fullness of our humanity, the fullness of our redemption, our 1010. And he comes in and he wants to deal with them. Deal with them might not be comfortable at the start, but deal with them with an ultimate hope of redemption. So it's that moment. The worst place I find myself is you're, you're in the dentist's waiting room. And, um, and my dentist's married to Ireland's second row, so you're thinking it could get a bit rough in there. Um, and, um, but you're in the waiting room, and it's the apprehension, isn't it? It's the apprehension. But I tell you, if you have a toothache, or if you've ever had a kidney stone, or you've ever had some pain, or you've ever been ill enough, 
You want somebody to come and deal with it. You're apprehensive about the dealing with it. You're maybe apprehensive when they put that needle into your mouth. I had a woman put a needle in my mouth and as she was putting a needle in my mouth, she said, were you up for sixth at the academy in 1981? And I suddenly went, oh Lord, what did I do to that girl? Um, if you find that the person putting the needle in your mouth was at school with you, oh, you've got to be careful at that point because they have all the power. <laughs> but you're not sure you want it in your mouth or you're not sure you want that operation or you're not sure you want to go into theatre. But if you knew that at the other end, if you knew that at the other end, things would be better as a result, you would be pain-free, you would be healthier, then maybe we could deal. I think the story we've got here is that these spirits, they don't want Jesus to come and take over the authority. They don't want the kingdom of God to come and God's will to come on earth as it is in heaven. Because that's going to change who they are. It's going to mean that we're going to move from a world that hurts each other to a world that helps and serves each other. And the evil spirits of our age don't want that. But even in my own life, there are things that I don't want to get rid of because they're part of my identity. Mark depicts Jesus as one uniquely authorized, commissioned, empowered to declare and institute the reign of God. So let's think about that. Jesus, uniquely authorized to commission and empower and declare and institute the reign of God in this church this morning. God immediately, it says in the scripture, moves in and and Jesus walks in. How would that disturb us? How would that disturb us? Because he's coming to commission and power and declare God's reign, not our reign. Not the evil or the sinful or the whatever we call it within us reign. God's reign. It's intrusive. It breaks old boundaries. Do we want those boundaries broken? that benefit another kind of rule that's gone because Jesus has arrived. It is about liberating people from the powers that afflict them and keep creation down. It includes our individual lives. It includes human society. It includes church denominations and church congregations and political institutions and business institutions and all kinds of institutions. God wants to reign so that we might flourish, be liberated and healed. It's about articulating God's intention for the world, defying or reconfiguring some traditions to do so if need be. As we come to the close, let me ask ourselves, let me ask me, what might be crying out in the depth of my spirit when the presence of Jesus wants to reign? What are the things I'm not keen to let go of? What are the things I'm shouting out to God? Are you coming here to destroy this? Are you coming here to turn me upside down? Are you coming here to take that wee piece of my identity away? And Jesus says, be quiet. Get out. Let the bad air out. Because in this epiphany, in this apocalypse, because apocalypse is not about end times, it's about truth that breaks in. In this epiphany of Mark chapter 1, in this epiphany of the voices around saying, this is the Messiah, then a reign is going to come with some authority that is going to make us all shudder and shriek and see the bad air out 
and the good air of the Holy Spirit coming in to transform us. But this morning, as we close, let's ponder in the quiet what might be reeling down within us. What might be shouting down within us? What might we not be prepared to give up to the authority of Jesus in our midst? Let's be quiet for a moment and ponder. Dig deep. Listen for the Spirit. Are there battles of the Spirit going on within us? The Holy Spirit wants to get rid of the evil spirits, the bad air, those things that possess us because of our fallen nature. Are we willing to let go? Maybe even fight God in the midst of letting go but to give God in Jesus' presence among us his authority his reign his kingdom coming to deliver us from evil and ultimately healing us in our minds healing us in our hearts healing us in our souls. Lord, Lord, come amongst us and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.